Hello there, I'm Marina Mahadeo. Welcome to Busy Reading Books, a podcast where we'll explore the world through words, featuring some of my favourite books and authors. Hello BRB listeners, we've got an exciting offer for you. Get an exclusive 10% discount at Book Access, Malaysia's leading book retailer. Just use the code ZAFIGO10, all caps, at checkout before 6 September 2021. It can be used store-wide except during flash sales. Happy shopping! Hello everyone, here I am again with another episode of Busy Reading Books by ZAFIGO.com. As always, we'll be travelling the world through books and this time we're going to Africa. That continent has of course been the setting of a great many books and depending what books and how you read them, you can learn things about Africa from several different angles. I think there are two perspectives when it comes to books set in Africa. There are those written by outsiders and those written by Africans. And naturally, there are different perspectives. When it comes to books written by non-Africans, again, this can't just be classified as white writers with a colonial outlook on Africa and its peoples. There are white people who are born and bred in Africa, but of course, it really depends on their outlook, whether they're conscious of their colonial antecedents or not. I mean, the only reason they are even there at all is because of colonialism, no? For the most part. But I wouldn't tar the entire lot of white writers on Africa with a colonialist brush, to be fair. There's, for instance, Nadine Godimer, for example, a Nobel Literature Prize laureate from South Africa, whose books highlighted the many issues, including racial issues, that people suffered under the apartheid regime. For that, her books were banned from her own country. Reportedly, Nelson Mandela read her book Burger's Daughter secretly when he was imprisoned in Roben Island. There were also other anti-apartheid writers like Alan Patton, who wrote Cry the Beloved Country, and Donald Woods, an anti-apartheid journalist who wrote the biography of Steve Biko that eventually became the movie Cry Freedom, starring Denzel Washington as Biko. Then, of course, there's the other type of writer, the imperialist, colonialist type. I remember reading a lot of Enid Blyton's famous five adventure books, at least one of which that I remember was set in Africa. Now, although many, many children around the world enjoyed Enid Blyton's books, including me, not many realized how she wrote with a tinge of not just racism, but also sexism in them. Of course, she was writing in the 50s when people weren't quite so enlightened and now a lot of people are calling her out for the, the really racist uh, stuff that she suddenly put in into her children's books. Plus, of course, that her style was really not very, very, um, not very sophisticated. I guess that's, that's the complaint. For instance, anyone who was not white was rarely portrayed as good or nice. I remember one famous five book where the five went to Africa and their only encounter with a native African seemed to have been a servant. And of course, these white kids had servants when they're in Africa, which they wouldn't have had at home, right? And if any of you ever remember the naughty books, the the 
doll with a red hat and the bell at the end, uh, which you might have read maybe during kindergarten or someone read to you when you were about that age. You may remember there was a character called Gollywog who had black skin, afro hair, white lips. And um, besides that, I mean, that's already offensive enough, right? He had red and white striped pants, I think, also. And she also wrote uh, another book about a black doll called Sambo, whom nobody liked because of his, quote, ugly black face. And it was only when his face was whitened by magic rain that people liked him again. Subtle, huh? Now, apart from that, one of the authors I used to love to read because he was a good storyteller. You know, it's like those big books written by men like Arthur Haley and all that. This one was Wilbur Smith. Now, Wilbur Smith was born in Rhodesia and grew up there. And he wrote stories of adventure in Africa where men were men and women were women. And um, basically, they were about uh, generations of families who were, of course, white families who owned farmlands, mines, and employed a lot of black servants. They're good yarns, you know, they, they kind of run along and, you know, you, you know, they're good for relaxing, I suppose. And that's why I like them. And my dad liked them. Uh, if you remember when I interviewed uh, my dad several, several episodes ago, I pointed out to him that these books were quite colonialist in outlook, which is, you know, interesting because he was such an anti-colonialist. And he admitted that they were, but he liked them for, for different reasons. So if you don't want to have to think too much and just go along for the ride, then Wilbur Smith books are, are great and he's still churning them out now. But just be careful not to absorb some of the tropes in there, okay? Coming to more recent times, I think a very different type of writer is someone like Barbara Kingsolver, who's American but lived for a short time as a child in the Belgian Congo, now the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the first book of hers I ever read was the Poisonwood Bible, which is about an American evangelical missionary family that goes to the Congo in the 1960s to, quote, save Africa for Jesus. It is a classic story of a Western family going to an underdeveloped country with the idea that they know what's good for them and need to save them and teach them this or that and everything. And then finding out that they're just clueless about local cultures and traditions. Like there's one thing about how they wanted to baptize some of the people they converted in a river and not knowing that the river is full of crocodiles. So, you know, <laughs> that's sort of like, oh, we know everything and you don't. It's a great story, actually, and very well written. And she's written several books after, but they're not all set in Africa. But she's a very good storyteller. And, and it's very clear where she stands on this issue of Western arrogance about Africans and, and anyone in the so-called less developed world, or nowadays we call them the Global South. But another terrific book I just finished that's set in Ethiopia is Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese. Abraham Verghese is actually a real-life Indian surgeon. I think he's now at Stanford. 
who grew up in Addis Ababa, and the capital of Ethiopia. And so this story is set in a hospital there, like a small, unsophisticated hospital there that that treats you know anybody that comes. Most people who are really poor and and need very very basic services like. Uh, delivering babies safely and that sort of thing. And you're going to learn a lot about medicine and surgery in this 658-page story. You will, including even about transplants. But you'll also learn a lot about Ethiopia, especially during the time of the Emperor Haile Selassie, who ruled from 1930 until he was murdered in 1974. And it's also the story of Eritrea, which was absorbed into Ethiopia during Selassie's time. And there are different people, a different ethnic group, different language and everything. So they've been fighting to secede from that time until now, really. I mean, if, if you read the papers, there's still a lot of conflict in the Tigray region and a lot of refugees and hunger and starvation and everything miserable. Nowadays, you know, among the many, many bad news that you get from around the world. But the story, Cutting for Stone, is really, really well woven. I mean, it's fascinating. It's actually about a pair of twin boys born to an Indian nun, nun, okay, and an English surgeon. And it traces their life from babyhood. I'll let you into it that the mother dies and the father disappears. So they're brought up by other people and all the way up until adulthood. And it's, it's, it's very romantic in parts, but it's also very heartbreaking because of all these difficult relationships and all these difficult times that they went through, you know, with all the civil war and everything. Um, but it's even funny in parts. So it's, it really pulls you along. And I, I just found it really hard to put down, but I had to because I had so many other things to do. And, and I just couldn't spend all my time just reading this book. It was lent to me actually by a friend. And she said that, you know, there were parts where she cried. And so if that's intriguing for you, pick it up. It's not a new book. It came out several years ago and it was very well received and, and reviewed and everything. So I really, really recommend it, especially if you're going on holiday or a long flight, you need something really, you know, heavy, not heavy, I mean, but heavyweight wise, um, with a plot that just trundles along, you'll really enjoy it. And now to the real African books written by native Africans. I can't say that I've read a lot, okay? I can't say I've read a lot of African writers, but I am discovering a wealth of them and of stories emanating out of the many countries that are worth reading. There, there are many, many countries in Africa, okay? It's not just one big place and everybody's the same. They're not the same. There are so many different countries, different languages, different cultures, different ways of thinking, and there are stories coming out from all of those places and they're all different. And it's, it's really worthwhile digging deep into those authors and stories if you really want to get a more complete picture of Africa. After all, it was so dominated by 
colonialism and the, the colonial powers, Britain, France, Belgium, they kind of divided up Africa among themselves and they didn't bother with who was living where and who they were. And so they, you know, they didn't bother about where certain ethnic groups lived and all that. And that's part of the reason why there's so much conflict now. And it's still going on. Yeah. And um, what I really like about these books is that not only that they tell you so much about these histories, which a lot of it, like I said, is informed by colonialism, but also about their culture and the way they thought and all that, and especially when it comes to women, yeah? And the thing is, they don't try and gloss over the nasty bits. And I think that's great because then it's much more truthful. It's not, oh, we're all happy, happy. Um, there are things which, yes, can be attributed to colonialism, but also on their own. But they're also, you know, a rich cultural continent, you know, full of things that, that would be good for us to learn. For instance, I'll give you a good example of my favourites, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's Half of Yellow Sun, which is about the secession of the region of Biafra from Nigeria, which led to the civil war between 1967 and 1970 that left almost 2 million Biafrans, mostly children, dead from starvation because the Nigerian army blockaded the entire region. It's a bit like putting this whole region of a country under EMCO, but without providing them any food. I mean, they, they literally cut it off from any supplies and just let the people in there starve to death. Um, I remember I was only a little girl at the time. I was about 10. Uh, 10, 11, 12. And I do remember the name Biafra being mentioned a lot in the news because of the terrible human toll. And there were lots of pictures of starving children, like really skinny, you know, it's terrible, really, really sad. But I don't think we really, really understood. Well, I didn't. I was only 10. What was going on? And so reading this book... Half of Yellow Sun really enlightened me a lot. It's about the time just before and during the Biafran War, seen through the eyes of, of several characters, including the main characters were this couple who lived in Biafra. They were academics. They were teaching at the university there. And yes, there were universities there. And then the things they experienced because of this civil war, some of the violence that is described in it is really horrible. And I don't know how Adichie managed to write such details so convincingly. You really do feel tense and upset because some of the descriptions. But it is a, a great story and it's so well written because she's obviously talented, but it's so well researched as well. It's so well written that it won the 2007 Orange Prize for Fiction and was well reviewed by all the big papers, New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, and many others. And since then, I've become such a fan of everything that Adichie writes. And I particularly love Americana, which came after, which is about Nigerian immigrants abroad. It's another great story insightful in, for instance, pointing out that being black was not a problem for Nigerians while they were in Nigeria until they went to America and then realized, oh, wait, you know, 
people treat me differently because of the color of my skin. And some bits are even funny. I, I don't know why. I remember certain things, you know. There was a hair salon. I think one of the characters operated a hair salon. And and she really went through the process of, you know, you know how black women want to straighten their hair and what that involves. And it's it's quite harrowing to my mind anyway. I think I now have to go and read her first book, which is called Purple Orchid. And um, let me tell you something. I'm really trying to get Adichie on this podcast. At some point, I have some friends who know her quite well. So I've been pleading, pleading with them, you know, hoping that they're the cable for me to get to her. She's, of course, a very big star and she's very busy. But we'll see. We'll let you know if that ever happens. And there are, of course, many other writers from Africa that we should read. And, of course, and many publishers now are turning their sites there to look for talent because there's plenty there. Chinua Achebe, Ben Okri, and another Nobel laureate, Wole Soyinka, have been around a long time, of course. But Soyinka actually has a new book out with a sort of long title that I like, Chronicles of the Happiest People on Earth. Now, we always thought, that was Bhutan, right? So he's written this book and of course it's set in Africa and he's also from Nigeria. So the title alone I think should make us run out and get the book. Then there are some intriguing female writers like Akweka Emezi, who's also from Nigeria, who has a book called The Death of Vivek Oji, which is supposedly part thriller and part, I don't know, something else. Um... And Jennifer Nansubuga Makumbi with a book called The First Woman Stroke A Girl Is a Body of Water. Again, a great title. I haven't read these two, but I'm definitely going to go and look for them. And I have to tell you about this one. One day while I was out walking in the morning, trying to get some exercise in during this lockdown, I happened to listen to a podcast of the Women's Prize for Fiction writers and they talk to a lot of women writers and I was listening to an interview of a writer from Kenya called Nanjala Nyabola who has written a book called Traveling While Black Essays Inspired by a Life on the Move. It talks about people's reactions to her as a, a woman who's not only traveling on her own but B, also black. So they're like two things that they're reacting to, yeah? And it's really very, very interesting because it's the sort of thing that you don't really understand, but that's what zafigo.com is all about. So I feel like this is someone I should also try and get onto this show at some point, yeah? Because it's perfect. And the next book that I want to order is called Transcendent Kingdom by a Ghanaian-American writer, Ya Gyasi, which is about a Ghanaian family that migrates to, of all places, I, I don't know why they chose this, to the American South. Like, you know, you think that there are easy places to, to go to. There must be a reason, and that's the plot of the book, Transcendent Kingdom. It's actually her second book. I think the first one is called Homecomings or something. Um, I never heard of her before this, but this book, Transcendent Kingdom, is shortlisted for the 2021 Women's Prize for Fiction. So I guess this is a writer who's going places and we should follow her. 
finally, finally, I want to end here with a book that I listen to on audiobook. And you know how I love audiobooks because it's such a different experience from reading in print. And I really, really recommend this one because it's Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. You know Trevor Noah. He's a South African stand-up comedian and now he's the host of The Daily Show in the US. Now, the crime of the title refers to the fact that Noah was born 37 years ago to a black mother and a white father in apartheid South Africa, where there wasn't supposed to be any such thing. There wasn't supposed to be any mixing between black people and white people in South Africa during the apartheid times, but somehow his mother and his father got together and they had him and the whole time they had to keep it a secret. So a lot of it is about that time. And, you know, if you know Trevor Noah and you've seen his stand-up specials on Netflix and watch him on The Daily Show, you know that like the best comedians, he is hugely intelligent and very aware of what's happening around him. And he's able to tell you these stories in a very funny way without condescending to anyone. I mean, the whole apartheid experience really informs his view of the world. And I think that's really important. That makes him really quite special and different from a lot of other stand-ups. If you listen to the audiobook version of this book, Born a Crime, he not only reads it himself, okay, that's already great because you get his voice, but he does the voices of the different characters, especially his mother, Patricia, in that South African accent. And it's really great because his mother was quite a character. And, you know, she was a single mother for a long time and she had to bring up this child whom she had to kind of keep hidden because he was so fair and some people thought he was white. But she was also quite a disciplinarian and sometimes... She would devise ways of keeping him lying, which were quite funny and, you know, really, really great. It's very, very enjoyable. I must say it's really very enjoyable, but also sad when you learn about the type of restrictions that were in place during the apartheid time. And it, of course, it's certainly educational and we never, never want to live in an apartheid country ever, right? But you'll understand from reading it or listening to it why he has a certain take on things on the daily show yeah so there you go traveling through africa through books from the past and the present and hopefully the future i hope you enjoyed this roundup tell us if there are books that you recommend we should read by writing to maggie at zafigo.com m-a-g-g-i-e at zafigo.com and we'll see whether we can construct a, a nice episode around them. So for now, stay home, stay safe. And since you can't travel, just travel through books. See ya. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out zafigo.com for more travel inspiration. Until next time.